Well, welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we're seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Garland, and uh, joining me today is, uh, is a good friend of mine from Memphis, a ministry partner of mine, uh, Randy Odom. Uh, Randy, what's up? How you doing? Man, I'm good this morning. Good to be here. I'm excited. Uh, good to hear your voice, man. It's been a while, too long, but uh, I'm excited about the opportunity to be, be in this space with you and talk about these things. Well, uh, yeah, it's always good talking to you, Randy. And, uh, and what we want to do is uh, we want to answer this question today. So we're in a, a multiple-part uh, series here that's, that's answering the question, how do, Christians, uh, how do Christians, respond, Christians respond to injustice in the world? And we, we talked generally, sort of what does the Bible say? And now we're having a, a follow-up conversation, a multiple-part follow-up conversation to that question. And uh, what we're going to have, uh, kind of the question be answered here is, how should, in particular, white Christians respond to racial injustice in America? And so uh, I speak here from Northwest Arkansas as, uh, as a white guy, a white Christian, and what we want to do is just help people like me to know how to lean in, how to engage in this, uh, this conversation, and uh, how, to, how to address these injustices that we see in a way that is helpful and appropriate. So uh, with that in mind, Randy, I think you might be one of the most most helpful voices that I know. It's why you were the first one I thought of to have this conversation with. Uh, give us a little bit of your background, kind of your story, what got you here. Hey man, thank you for that compliment. Um, you know, man, I, I grew up in Texas, uh, grew up in a family that, you know, was, I wouldn't say they were Christian, went to church a few times, but uh, went to church and, and received Christ when I was 10 years old. And But I didn't really have anybody show me what that looked like or what to do next. And um, I went um, went throughout high school, went to co- went to a Baptist school, Oklahoma Baptist, um, for a while, and then transferred to Washita. But during that time, I, I started working at Kids Across America. And when I did that, I, that was the first time I saw people, you know, who looked like me on fire for the Lord. And I just first time I kind of saw what it was like to be a committed Christ follower, committed committed Christian. And I met a guy there named Roy Campbell. They call him Soup. And uh, he ran Icon Ministries, and I moved to Memphis, and um, that just kind of started my work uh, in with urban youth uh, from disenfranchised, marginalized communities. And uh, you know, um, during that time, I, I met my wife, Calandria, who's African American, and we got married. We've been married for 16 years. I have one son, Enoch, Enoch uh, Jackson Odom, and uh, that just and you know that just kind of began my my work with with youth in that area. And, you know, that's been the last 30 years, I'd say. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of how we met uh, from you guys coming down from fellowship to Memphis, I mean, for like 12 years, right. it seemed like. And, um, and so, yeah, that kind of, I've been, I've been in that space for, for, you know, over half my life. So, um, that's, that's me. And give us just kind of, so you, you have an interesting blend that, that kind of makes up your ethnicity. What, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So, yeah, so I was adopted in, into a white family in some poverty, but but my biological parents, which I'd never seen, I was told um, by my adopted parents that my mom was half African-American, half Italian, and my dad was Greek. And so that just kind of threw me into this, you know, kind of a blender, a mix of multicultural, uh, multi-ethnicity. Um, all of my friends were either African-American or Latino. Um, that was kind of the culture that I grew up in. And so, 
you know, being able, being being biracial or triracial and then being working in the communities I'm working in now, I have an African-American wife and African-American son. Um, you know, it's just, I've been, I've been able to exist in different times. Well, in, in multiple cultures at one time. Right. Well, so I think that is one of the reasons, and I think you're also just, uh, you and I have had numbers of conversations over the years, and I, I always appreciate we can just kind of get right to it. So in light of that, let's just get right to it. Um, you know, I, I'm speaking here, like I said, from Northwest Arkansas, which is a, uh, Northwest Arkansas is a majority white area. That's that's beginning to change a little bit as we see uh, Northwest Arkansas's demographics change. But uh, speaking as a white Christian, a white guy, uh, I would love just just to listen. And what I'd like to have you help me with and help us with is just the answer to this question. How can white Christians engage with the racial injustice that we see here in America. And obviously we're having this conversation uh, about 10 days after George, George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis. And right. uh, we're, we're, we're sitting in this as a country right now. And uh, some, I think for the first time are seeing uh, what's been going on, maybe and it's hitting them differently. Uh, and so this, this is a conversation that is just really, uh, it's kind of become ubiquitous in our culture and with, with good reason. So help us to, uh, to, to answer that question, what we can do as speaking from the, the the white Christian perspective. Well, man, I appreciate you even asking. I think that's the first step is be willing to, to get into conversations and being willing to make yourself vulnerable. Um, I think, you know, one of the cute few, one of the things I would say is, is, is just listen, you know, uh, listen. And, and, you know, I like to say that proximity brings empathy. And I know that in, in Northwest Arkansas, there's not a lot of African-Americans, but there are a lot of Marshallese Islanders and Latino um, so, so, so listen, be humble and just listen. Um, you know, right now I was telling somebody the other day, Hey man, I really don't need your opinion. I just need your help. I need you to listen. Um, and I would say that, man, what you're seeing in these streets, it's not just a, it's not just a, it's not just a response to George Floyd or uh, a response to, um, uh, all of the other, um, you know, murders that have happened uh, or the social justice system, which, you know, uh, it is not equitable. Um, it, it's a response to years and years of, of, of these things happening. Right. And so I would just say, man, listen, and then, and then educate, educate, uh, you know, there's resources out there. Um, you know, you can look at, um, and you don't have to necessarily agree with the whole of them, but just start to educate yourself. Listen, you know, uh, read a book. Um, I'll send you, I'll email you a list of resources. You know, there's documentaries out there, um, how they see us. There's different things, but start to educate yourself. And these things can happen, you know, um, simultaneously. And then I would say, and I see this, we can speak about this too. I see for the first, I mean, for the first time in a long time, I see it's not just black people protesting. Right. You got white people, you got Indian people, Latino people. You know, and, and I heard, you know, so so speak up when you see racism, point that stuff out. Right. You know, be that be that be that be that voice. You know, when you hear stuff like, man, I, I don't see color. God doesn't see color. Well, yeah, he does, because he made a beautiful mosaic of, of every every right. ethnicity. And so he does see color because he created us like that. Right. And so being able to speak to those things, you know, um, call well, them out. 
let, 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 let's, let's, let's zero in on that. Cause, cause one of the things that, that I think I wanted to uh, kind of get your perspective on is uh, when I talk to, especially people in the white community right now, uh, there's a little bit of a mixed bag of emotion. There's a mixed bag of response and there's some, there's some anxiety, you know, do, am I saying the right thing? Is this saying too much? And so let, let me, let me just run a few things by it and just see kind of what's your perspective. We'll start with that one right there. Like this, the phrase or the statement, which I think we've, we've heard frequently over the years. Well, I don't see color. You know, God doesn't see color. Like interact with that one and continue with what you were saying. Well, if that's the case, then why did he create different colored people? There are right. white, even light-skinned, dark-skinned blacks. He does see color. He made a beautiful mosaic. You know, there, there's one there's one race of human beings, but with different ethnicities. And so, you know, um, it, it, I see color. I see different cultures. And I think biblically you see that too. Um, you know, I think a lot of times, man, it's sad to say, but to my white brothers and sisters, their first initial response is, well, I'm not racist or I don't see color. Um, You know, I think every person is prejudiced. We we have a sin nature. We all prejudge something. You know, racism, that term, we gotta be clear with our terms. Racism deals more with the system, with a system that that is set up that is not equitable. Um, You know, so I, I just think, you know, I think biblically, we're speaking to Christian Christ followers. God created color. He created us this way. So he sees that we, we should, we should, we should see that. So, so am I right in saying, I think what I'm hearing you say is when we make a statement like that, it almost sort of flattens out what is, what is really actually a really cool distinction and a really cool diversity. It almost flattens it out in a way that's, that feels dismissive. Is that a fair way to say it? Okay. Okay, so th- think about it. If somebody says, "Man, I don't see color," I might almost, I'm, I might, I might hear it as, "Well, I don't see you." Right. Yeah, that's good. That that that's, that's and, and then, helpful. And then, you know, and then and then think about this. In in history, when you're in school and you're 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 a kid and you're learning history, it, it's from an Anglo-Saxon white European view that you that you get history, right, of America. And so, you know, it's important to, you know, we are different, but race is, it, God, you said it, man, God made a beautiful mosaic, you know, uh, his body, you know, and so that, that's just, that's important. I know for me, so we came over with a, with a group of us uh, during the Martin Luther King 50th anniversary of his assassination. Uh, there was a conference that was held in Memphis and several of us in Fayetteville uh, yes. went over. We hung out with you, saw you, it was good to see you there. But uh, I know something that challenged me. So I I went in, I think, with an attitude of, you know, I I feel like I've tried to really deal with any prejudice I have growing up in the South and, uh, you know, being a white person in the South. I thought I had kind of done that due diligence and gone as deep as I could. And at the conference, uh, there were some things that I, I went, okay, I need to keep working. So the two things that... I had to do some more work on the first was, and I know I had said this before the conference. I know I probably said it within the last decade and I was sincere in it. Uh, I'd said statements like, um, well, well, I never owned slaves. Like, you know what? I don't want to be held responsible for, uh, something that, you know, generations behind me have done. I don't, I, 
can't we move past that almost was I think my, my posture right. in, 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 in making that statement. And the second one I remember that really challenged me was uh, some of the people that were speaking and leading that conference. They just asked the question. They asked it pretty pointedly. Uh, hey, you, you guys in here, you girls in here that went to seminary or that have gotten some of your Christian education or that are teaching and leading, how many black writers, theologians, Bible scholars were you exposed to? Have you been exposed to in your in your career learning? And I remember thinking, I don't know if I was, I don't know if I read a single black author in my time at seminary or my time just as a right. Christian growing up. And so those two things, I came back from the conference going, you know what? Like there's some statements that I think maybe I make and there's some there's some lack of education, I think, that I have. I'm going to have to go do do some more work on. So help, help me understand, Randy. Like, let's start with the first one. That that kind of statement. Well, I never owned slaves, or I'm not a racist, or well, I'm, look look how far look how far we've come. That kind yeah, yeah, of a yeah. statement. Yeah, yeah. Interact with uh, with how and, that lands in your community. And so it's like, I mean, of course, we know we know you ain't never owned no slaves, right? Um, but but think about this. And I've started to reflect on this lately, man. I love I love my country. I, I enjoy the freedoms that, and I respect everyone who's gone before me and laid down their life for me to have these freedoms. But man, you know what? The people who wrote the Declaration of Independence, when they wrote that, they owned people. Right. And 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 I think it's important to see that our our founding fathers, man, they owned people because they didn't see them as people. Right. And so. We know you didn't, but what we want, man, I never forget. I got to, I got to spend some time with Bernice King a couple of years ago when she came to Memphis and she said, um, she said, you know, when, when my white brothers say, I'm not racist, uh, what we want to say is we know you're not racist. We want to know if you will stand with us against the people who are. Oh, that's really helpful, man. That's good. Will you be with us? And, and let me give you, let me give you some, I'm going to read these stats from 2016 and you just, I want I want you to think of this, and, and I think you can do this because of your experience with me and being in Memphis. Think of this if you were black. So these are stats from 2016-17, not that long ago. The 10 richest Americans, they're 100% white. The U.S. Congress is 90% white. U.S. governors are 96% white. The top military advisors are 100% white. The president and his vice president, 100% white. U.S. House Freedom Caucus, 99% white. People who decide which TV shows we see, 93% white. People who decide what news is covered, 80, 85% white. Okay, teachers in the United States, 82% white. Right. Full-time college professors, 84% white. Owner of men's professional football teams, 97% white. Now, these aren't minor organizations. These mm-hmm. are huge. Yeah. And so when I hear, man, we've come so far. Well, who, yeah, and, and we've come so far, but in reference to what? I mean, right. um, I mean, think about it. It was, uh, you can go back to the 60s and and 50s and 60s and go, man, it was segregated. Well, man, it's only 2020. It's like, not that long, like that not that long ago. It's not that long mm-hmm. ago, man. It's not that long ago. And for or and for it, all it, intents and purposes, there are some. I mean, there's parts of our cities and parts of our of our world right now that still, you know, practically feel like the '60s. They all kind of feel. Right. So it's not institutionalized. Yeah. You know what, I, 
Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an issue of humanizing people because let's be real, man. If I'm if I'm if I had enough money, I can live wherever I want in America. Right. I can. I can move. I can move into Bentonville and buy everything, and it, it won't matter because I have the economic. I have the economic. I have the economic. So to me, that's the issue. It's it's humanizing of people, mm-hmm. and the Bible's clear, man. We're all Imago Dei created in in His image. You know. Um, man, let me, let me, let me drop this on you. Um, a few years ago, I got to go to Ghana, um, with the mission trip and we went to the slave castle, you know, and it's important to remember, man, that, you know, evil is evil. And, 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 and there were Africans selling other Africans for money right? because they didn't see them as people. But we went to the slave castle and they had, we walked through these dungeons where they held people, but, and there was a hole in the ceiling up above and i was like what is that hole and he said this is what the guy told us there's a hole in the ceiling because they would hold the slaves underneath here till the ships came but the white the white people would have church above the slaves who were in the who were in this dungeon and they would sing to god so that the slaves would know that their god has forsaken them wow i mean you just wrap and, your and, and you just wrap your mind around the like probably not all those people are just just morally reprehensible evil people, but when you when you fail to humanize hu- yes. people that God has made, this is this is what can can happen. Yes, and, and what's happening now in our society? These beatings aren't new. This stuff ain't new. It's, we we know. When I say we, our, our people, we know it's been happening. But what's different now is everybody got a cell phone. So guess what? Mm-hmm. Now you now everybody's seeing it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's what's making it, it, it come out and making it a reality is because now everybody's seeing it, you know, um, and that's why listening is important. And just to just to just to, you know, man, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to come angry. Mm-hmm. What, you know, what would you say to this one? So this is one that that uh, that I think I, I've frequently kind of heard people say. And, I, and re- tell me how like the black community, this receives a statement like this. Uh, you know, black lives matter has now become a, a worldwide movement really. And I think frequently the response from people in my community is, well, well, I mean, Hey, like all lives matter, all lives matter, not just black lives. Why do we have to make it, uh, about race? Why do I have to make it about, uh, about politics? Or can't we just, we all lives matter. How does that, how does that land for you? Hearing something like that. Yeah, you know, like, so we, as a believer, I know that all lives matter, but right now, um, you, you ain't seeing white people. If you look at the number of people who've been, who've been shot, who've been killed, who, who prosecution hadn't happened. If you look at the Central Park Five, who were kids when they were convicted, uh, I, we know all lives matter, but, but right now, man, it, it's, it's the ethnicities that are, that are, that are facing these injustices. I'll use this example. If you look in in the word, if you look in Ephesians 2, where it says God took two races and made one, he took two and made them one. So he's done the work of reconciliation. But it's like this. I use this story. So we're believers. We're all one family. We like that. We are. And so we live in this neighborhood. And I walk outside and I say, man, my house is beautiful. And you walk outside every day and you go, man, my house is beautiful. My house matters. My house matters. And we love it. We look at each other's neighbor, neighbors and we're, we're, we're believers and we're one family and we're appreciating each other's uh, neighborhood. And then you walk out one morning, you go, hey, man, my house is awesome. I'm doing this. I'm, the grass looks good. I've been working on this. Man, my, my house matters. 
and I, I wake up and they, and man, my house is on fire. I, I see you and I'm, hey man, my house is on fire, help me. And your response is, man, all houses matter. Right. That's a, that's a, my mine's on fire. Right. And 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 I but and you've been telling me that we're one. You've been telling me that we're 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 one we're one people, un, you know, under God. And 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 I'm going, man. Yeah, I know all. I know all houses matter, but mine's on fire. Can you get some? Can you? The proper response is to get a bucket and your hose and help put my fire out. Right. <laughs> yeah. That 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 analogy, you know? I think. I mean, that's just, I think that's really clear. I think that's, that's, uh, I think it's clear. I think that's convicting. Uh, maybe, maybe the last one, uh, before we, we put a, we kind of put some big picture, uh, perspectives on this. Help me on this one. Uh, I hear this one a lot, um, from, from my community. Um, and we did address this a little bit in the, the first of this series of conversations about, uh, about what the Bible says about injustice in general. But, uh, how does this one, hit you in your community. Uh, let's not make this political. Why do we have to make this political? Can't we just, you know, talk about Jesus and get people to church? Why do we got to make this political? It seems like we're all political all of a sudden. How would you, how would you respond to that? Well, man, I would say, is there an area as a believer? Um, is, is there an area that the gospel is not, the gospel is not, uh, it doesn't apply. So to my white brother who says, man, I'm, I'm against abortion. Well, I could, what would he say if I said, Hey man, don't politicize that. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. (laughs) So so you can't have it both ways. You know, if you're going to be, I tell, I tell my, my, my my white brothers and my black brothers, man, if you're going to be, if you're going to rail against homosexuality, you're going to, I think we've had this conversation. I'm sure we have. If you're going to rail against homosexuality and say that's a sin, then you need to look that 16 year old kid or that person who's shacking up with his girl and having premarital sex and go, that's a sin too. Right. Yeah. So, so I go, no, it's political. It's social. The gospel reaches everywhere. And, and, you know, I don't think I, I had this conversation. I don't think social gospel and gospel are different. I think they're all one. You can't Jesus, the Samaritan, the story of the Samaritan, Jesus went to Zacchaeus's house, the, the, you know, the woman at the well, um, Jesus, he went into that space and he brought the gospel and, and, and the gospel worked in that, in that social space. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, man, you know, um, I don't think that's biblical. I think also you can look at Revelation 2, 6. Uh, it says, yet you have this, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So God's saying, he, well, what is the works of the Nicolaitans? Nico is where we get Nike. Laity is the people. He's saying, I hate any system or anything that sets itself up to conquer people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nike in Greek means That's victory. Right. It means victory. It's where we yes, get even yes. the, the company, victory. Anything. Yes. So many things is conquering or having victory over the people. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, I just think, you know, um, man, I think that grieves God's heart. Because I, he's like, man, my gospel, my gospel my gospel needs to be brought into every space. Right. Well, and I think even if you just watch, I mean, watch what Jesus does to, to cultures. He shows up, and when he starts talking about this thing called the gospel of the kingdom of God come near, mm-hmm. yes. like, I mean, 
the leaders of those cultures get really up in arms because he's flipping things on its head. And then you see Paul show up in a city that's filled with idols, a city filled with uh, things that are dedicated to either Greek or Roman gods, and that entire system will get flipped really quickly. And they recognize yes. it. The leaders recognize it. The political leaders. We could talk about Paul at Mars Hill in Athens. We could talk about when yes. the leadership in Thessalonica shows up and they go, hey, this dude is turning the whole world upside down. Well, I mean, it doesn't seem as if the early church thought that uh, proclaiming that there's a different king, his name is Jesus, and he has won a cross-shaped victory over all these powers and these forces of sin and evil in the world. It didn't seem like those early Christians thought that that did not have dramatic implications on literally every area of life. And the history nerd yeah. that I am, just reading reading how the first century church was able to infiltrate not just the poor, the marginalized, the vulnerable, the hurting, and bring care and social justice to those areas, they, they were able to infiltrate and influence the leaders and the powers. And they, they had a movement. They had a gospel that touched every area of society. And I do think the, the first thing you even said uh, upon answering this question is, and this is the thing I maybe, as we take this, bring this thing to a close, uh, I think oftentimes I, I'll speak for myself, I think I can be very dismissive when I see another news story of one of these injustices or hear another story about inner city or something going on. Uh, it can, it can very quickly, I can get dismissive and, and, and think, I don't need to do the, I don't need to do the hard work for myself. I don't need to dig down anymore. Hey, I've, I, I'm not there. I didn't do that. Whatever. And, I think right. uh, I know. I know we're both friends with Matt Newman. He leads our one of our congregations here uh, at Fellowship, and he he gave he gives four practical things that I think are really helpful. And I'd love to have you just uh, weigh in on these. They're, they all start with the word the letter L. So the first is to listen. The second is yes. to learn. The third is to lament. Like it's like. We need to lament, oh, like it. we need to grieve, we need to mourn with those who mourn, and we need to to hurt with those who hurt, and then rejoice with those who rejoice. So listen, learn, lament, and then lean in. And that leaning in may look really different. Like if you're list, if you're listening to this, and you've got no, you've got no. Nobody of color that is a friend with a friend to you. Well, it might start with you reading or checking out a different news source or being able to to pick up a book or an article and just expose yourself to different stories. Uh, and so, if you, it, it may not be uh, go go call somebody right now that you know is black or a person of color and and just to have that conversation. It, it might be that, but what does it look like to lean in? And and we're going to have to wrestle with that question. So, what do you think about those four? So, those are listen. Learn, that's, lament, that's and lean that's in. That's so good. That's so good. Um, and man, it's funny, man, because I'm sitting here. I'm trying not to get emotional, but man, I know if, and I'll say this to everyone who's listening to me on this podcast, man. I know I've seen you do that in your life, Garland. And I know, man, if I was to call you and say, "Hey, man, I need, I need you, I need some help down here," you'd be in the, you'd be in the truck, car coming down here because you've leaned in and you've listened, and man, you've. Um, You've learned and you've also lamented, you know, um, and, and so I think those are so good, um, you know, it, and I don't see how the Holy Spirit cannot touch somebody's heart. And I would say this is what I, I even me, a person who's not white, I need to listen. I need to listen to my white brother and I need to to let him um, I need to I need to let him I need to give him permission to be clumsy, you know, because right. uh, this this is a topic that, you know, it makes people uncomfortable. Um, you know, it's, 
and I, I need to give them permission to, to, to do these things. But me as a person of color, I need to listen, learn, and lean in myself uh, to my white brothers and sisters. Um, I was telling some of my friends yesterday, hey, man, you can't ask all white people to know your culture if you ain't asking none of them to be, come over your house and eat. Right. Yeah, that's that's good. Don't be saying you don't know my culture if you ain't invited them over to see your culture. Right. And so I think I think some things work both both ways. But during this season, it's so important for my white brothers and sisters to lend your voice to this. Um, man, think about think about if if it was if it was a, a, a white person getting beat like that. Yeah, you know how, how yep, I, that's that's a, that's a helpful just a helpful reminder for us. Yeah, close your eyes and close your eyes and think, man. You know, see that picture in your mind, because um, then you know it, when it becomes real to you. When it comes to your neighborhood, that's what happened when y'all came to Memphis, man. You know, God brought people of another ethnicities and different poverty levels to y'all's neighborhood, and you came in, you saw them, and you built relationship, and they knew y'all's names, and you knew their names, and and that that proximity brought empathy, and that changed that changed people on mm-hmm. both sides. White, black black people, black kids that I work with say, man, not all white people are, are racist because I know people from NWA. They came and they were with us and we were with them. You know, th- those are my friends. Right. Well, Randy, you know? you, you've modeled just such a, I mean, just a helpful posture forward. Like, I mean, you've brought in, you brought students from Memphis inner city over to, to join us and kind of come to our neighborhood and see our world and just yes. our, our partnership and our friendship has, it's meant so much to me over the years. Uh, I know, I know a lot of it is centered on you and I laughing at each other and, uh, making fun of some of our friends together, but, and talking sports, but, uh, being able to honestly have these conversations and know that, uh, yes. I mean, I can, I can like at any moment, I can just call Randy. I can talk to any, a lot of my buddies in Memphis and just go, what's going on? How you feeling? What's it like? And before we even got on this yeah. and started recording, we spent more time than we, we, we should have just, just doing that together before we got on and recorded this. Yeah. And so, uh, and that that's really lot, helpful. Man. That means a lot, you know, yeah. that means a lot. The, uh, we're going to post. So if you're listening to this on out of curiosity, I know this is a little bit different, uh, a little different flavor for out of curiosity. We normally tackle one question at a time and try to give you biblical perspective on that. So you can go learn how to think, but this is a, a multifaceted question. And so we wanted to bring kind of a different couple different layers to this one and this multiple parts. Uh, we're going to post on our, the, the bio here or on a link to this on our, uh, Instagram and whatnot, some, some resources for you. I'll just mention one here. If you're a parent and you've got kids, especially little kids, uh, Trillian Newbell's book, God's very good idea is, is incredible. It's a book written by an African-American woman talking about this very issue, but trying to talk about it in a way that kids can understand and grasp. Uh, I love, it's in a series of five books that this group has done and every one of them are incredible. They're well-written. Uh, they're, they're well-illustrated. My kids love them. And so, uh, we're going to post some more. If you want to listen and learn, we're going to post some more things for you to be able to do just that. And as we hope we can begin to put a biblical perspective, uh, on this issue in our world. Randy, as always love talking to you. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, thanks for listening to out of curiosity. Thanks again for listening to Out of Curiosity. And uh, our goal in these three episodes as we looked at racial injustice and how the church can respond in a biblical way was to bring different voices together that would help us to think about these issues. 
And, uh, and I just want to read now the, the words that our directional leader, Mickey Rapier, sent out to our church here at Fellowship recently. He said, The mistreatment of minorities in our country needs to stop, and we should pray to that end. Nothing is more powerful than prayer. The mistreatment of anyone should be stopped, but George Floyd's death has brought the issue of racial violence to the forefront. I was sickened by what I saw in the video of his agonizing death. In addition to prayer for our nation, we need to take appropriate biblical action as the people of God. Conversations need to happen between individuals and groups that address race and abuse issues. As a church, we have been given the biblical mandate to make disciples. As Christians, we are to follow the great commandment and great commission. Love God, love others, and make disciples. May we continue to grow to that end. Thanks for listening.